to set the mood, just so you guys know, Peter and I are both like very dapper and professional looking. That is true. We're we're both in our cool. work yeah. attire. All right, I'm wearing a noise tee. John, what's your fit? Uh, <laughs> Describe your fit. Gym shorts and a tank top. I've been cleaning my house all day. Ooh, is the tank top dirty? Uh, not too dirty. You haven't been cleaning hard enough. Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, expert on the difference between Tailspinning by Weather Report and Tailspin by the Disney Channel. <laughs> I'm co-host Jeremy, and I'm flaming mad at the Weather Channel, guys. Flaming mad? What did the Weather just, Channel ever do to you? I'm livid. I've been watching Local on the 8s for the past week, and not once did they play a local band. It's a lie. It's all lies. Did they ever play Weather That landed with a thud. I'm, I, <laughs> as David Drucker says, I'm crossing that one out. <laughs> you gave it a shot. I am Peter Cook, but some people know me as Mr. Fusion. I don't get who it. Who exactly knows you is that? <laughs> Anyone who just heard me say it now. Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys know who what Mr. Fusion is? Of course not. No. It was one of the components. Was, uh, oh, was oh. it Arnold Schwarzenegger in Batman? That was my first thought. <laughs> I think that was Mr. Freeze. <laughs> Maybe it was his sidekick. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Fusion was a component of the DeLorean and Back to the Future. Oh. Okay. Okay. Something we're going to reference a lot over the rest of this episode, I would imagine. Fusion. Ah. Not DeLoreans or Back to the Future. No, I think that's it for this episode on that okay. front. <laughs> Good to let people know what they're getting into with this one. Speaking of what they're getting into, is there another guest that they're going to be hearing from? Yes, I'm the guest. I'm David Drucker. Uh, I got a freezing fire between the thighs. Ooh. I'm the Jacko Pastorius of late period weather report. <laughs> <laughs> isn't isn't uh, uh, yeah. isn't Jacko Pastorius not even on this album? Yeah, yeah. I was waiting for someone to catch that. <laughs> yeah, he surely is not. Which is why but this is arguably under the most famous. Yeah, he's he's definitely the most famous. I I would see people pick up this record or other records by Weather Report at the record store, and if Jocko wasn't on it, they'd put it right back. Which is why this is an underappreciated record that we're going to talk about today. Which is the Weather Report tail spinning. That's right, nineteen seventy five, their fifth studio LP. Hey, Sean. What's up? You know what you did. For maybe the first time, you totally stole my idea for my title on this episode, and I had oh to. Oh my god! I had to scramble and come up with Mister Fusion. By the way, 
Just so I you know. See. I, was I was go- wondering if that might happen because it like <laughs> I've been channeling you a lot recently on some of our social media posts and stuff. So I think I've just like been stuck in that like Peter Man rut of creativity, maybe. I don't know. I like it. It, my- felt, it felt like a Peter introduction, so you did it. You channeled me. <laughs> you need to stay in your lane, Sean. <laughs> it's so much more fun over here though. Well, I'm I'm glad you're you're having fun with that. But David, why don't you uh if you don't mind, David Drucker, please tell us a little bit about yourself uh for the people who don't know. Uh how much time do I have? No, I'm just kidding. Um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll just give you the, I, I make psychedelic music, uh, here in Ridgewood Queens as painted faces. I also play in the bands Bad Trips and Bong House. And, uh, I'm from Florida. These seem like key points. I don't, yeah. That's kind of where it it drops off. Yeah. If that's all you want to say, I, I think that's adequate. Yeah. And but so what uh made you bring this record to our podcast i know you've listened to a lot of our episodes so you know what we do over here well i i dug around my collection and i thought that weather report or something fusion related was likely a dollar record i kind of recall seeing maybe not this specific record but some other ones in the past and uh, i looked it up and it was listed as a dollar on discogs this and this one I got actually from my dad when I was just he gave me a bunch of records I guess like late in college or around the time I was moving to New York somewhere in between and this was in there and uh, I was stoked because I was into Weather Report I got into them in high school from my bass guitar teacher who hipped me to Jacko and Weather Report and Stanley Clark and stuff like that so it's there's kind of a nostalgic vibe with weather report for me right on for those that are nostalgialists where do you want them to be introduced you mean like to the band what should they check out yeah wow that was horribly worded uh what (laughs) song do you want to play first (laughs) oh um let's go with uh badia 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 Anyone want to take a shot at that? It's the first song on side two. Uh, I believe it's Badia. Okay. I tried to look up a definition for the word because like, it's come up before in other songs. Like Earth, Wind, and Fire has a track where they yeah. use that word and stuff. Badia, I, I, I couldn't, Badia. Yeah. I couldn't find any like yeah. consensus on it. Uh, I believe it's an Arabic name initially, but uh, that's all cool. I could figure out. Here we go. Side B, track one.
Despite the title that I gave myself, Mr. Fusion, I realized once I began previewing this in anticipation of recording this episode that my experience with jazz fusion is honestly, I think it's limited to it's limited to the stuff that Miles Davis did and Zappa's 70s stuff. Of course, what reminded me of that is some of the sounds can be a little similar to some of those Zappa recordings from the 70s, but obviously a very different mood at the same time on this Weather Report album. Right, totally. I think Zappa has a a definite influence on fusion jazz in a weird way. I mean, some of his players were definite jazz heads that went on to do more jazz studio work after leaving some of his like earlier groups and things like that. And there was there was definitely some jazz element to some of the stuff Zappa was writing like early on in mid period. Mhm. I think that the streams go both ways where he was influencing a lot of the music in the 70s and uh was also influenced by what was going on. Yeah, absolutely. So Peter, you ready to learn more about fusion jazz over the course of this episode and <laughs> earn your title? I I got an immediate recommendation of a band that uh, everyone should check out if you're not familiar. What's that? With them, and that's or the band Oregon or Oregon, like the state. Yes, that band rules. Never heard of them. Uh, and this this song is kind of reminiscent of them and um, that like John Hassel Fourth World kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Oregon was also basically the backing band on the early paul winter records and paul winter icarus is an album that i've had in my queue of albums to cover on this show for a long time so never heard it so i'm, I'm writing it down to check it out yeah right now. yeah you'll dig it i feel like i just wandered into a like a graduate level college class that i know nothing about yeah <laughs> i don't know the words or the names and i'm just wow like, I'm, okay i'm surprised to hear this yeah. Jeremy, all you need to do is take that long hair of yours that you have, that long flowing hair, and put it back in a ponytail. Oh, like I do at work. <laughs> there you go. At the college, and, at and, the graduate yeah. college. <laughs> and then you'll totally understand the conversation. Yeah, then the information will just flow straight to your brain Ooh. and will make perfect sense. Yeah, there's I, I, just based on that conversation, I too can say I, I might be learning a lot on this episode. <laughs> 
Hey, I, I'm going to learn a lot on this episode. That's why I'm here. I'm, I'm always learning. So why don't we just like dive right into a little bit of uh, like definition and history of fusion jazz real quick, because the, the history of fusion jazz is closely linked to the history of weather report. So I'll do my best to give like a, a brief synopsis here. So around the late 60s early 70s there was a growing number of jazz players who were getting a little bored or frustrated with conventional jazz songwriting formats you know the trading off between lead and background verse chorus kind of thing and there was a lot of people that wanted to breathe new life into jazz specifically by combining it with other genres some of the most common names that was put on some of this output from some of these players at the time is smooth jazz or jazz funk sometimes prog rock avant-garde or post bop there's a whole lot of different influences that led up to this some of the stuff we've talked about on the show was definitely an influence especially um the whole like cti records camp we talked about how that was a movement into more like texture and groove based jazz as opposed to the more traditional bop stuff that was happening at the time. And fusion jazz is just kind of a continuation of it. But the other thing with fusion jazz is that a lot of it uh, leads directly back to Miles Davis, who is oftentimes considered like the founder of fusion jazz in a way, but you know, he was the, the high profile musician that went electric and started experimenting with electric and funk and avant-garde elements, uh, particularly with records like In a Silent Way and Bitches Brew and then all the live stuff he was doing in the 70s and the experimental music then. But his record Bitches Brew that came out in 1970 was the real touchstone. It inspired a lot of imitators and also the majority of the players on that record went on to form some of the biggest names in fusion jazz through the 70s. And a short list of those groups includes Weather Report, My Vishnu Orchestra, the Tony Williams Lifetime, the Headhunters with Herbie Hancock, and Return to Forever. Well, I've heard of some of that stuff. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Entry-level knowledge of fusion jazz now. <laughs> so, like, different groups took it in different directions, but... A lot of it was very funk-based, very groove-based. Um, a lot of it featured collective improvisation as opposed to trading off solos. Some of it was more rock and more shred-based. Some of it was much more textural and quiet. It's kind of the thing. It wasn't... None of these players were wearing the Fusion Jazz logo at this time and being like, yes, this is the music I want to make. At the time, it was just a lot of jazz musicians trying to experiment with new things and add new flavors and textures into the world. And it's like, you know, retroactively has been given these different titles, oftentimes with the musicians completely disagreeing with the labels. Oh yeah. I can uh, imagine. Isn't, isn't that kind of sort of related to free jazz in the sense that it's a lot of musicians kind of just like not adhering to specific genre parameters or rules yeah. Obviously there was some there's a fair bit of crossover. And a lot of people that were involved with free jazz stuff in like the mid 60s were moving into more fusion jazz 
type stuff at this point. Like yeah, like Don Cherry, I think it is comes to mind immediately. Exactly. And you know, there's also a lot of crossover between jazz and R and B, like we've talked about before. Like Norman Connors yes. comes to mind was a free jazz player that went into like full on funk R and B territory. I mean, you could argue that that stuff is fusion jazz as well, even though it sounds more pop friendly than like, you know, some of the Weather Report or Mahavishnu Orchestra stuff that you'll hear. Well, you brought up a good point there with the the fact that with the fusion jazz, the players were improvising together. When I think of, like we were talking to like mid-60s free jazz, something like uh, John Coltrane Ascension, those are all players trading off solos improvising versus like yeah, a, co- a collective improvisation all at once. But, yeah, it was like a, a half step into the complete like you know no uh no plan free jazz kind of thing and yeah like i said a lot of these players come from that background of the those early free jazz experimentations so in a way they're kind of taking some of that approach but oftentimes bringing in a lot more melodic improvisation to it uh, especially weather report in like this record and their earlier stuff before this they're like they have this interesting combination of spacious avant-garde influenced textures and like these kind of open frameworks. And then they'll have these melodic improvisations and structure added in with that to have this kind of like unique element. I also got to say at the time, Weather Report was an incredibly popular band. Uh, This record, in fact, is their third of five wins in a row of the downbeat album of the year downbeat is a very famous long-running jazz specific magazine do you mean they were big in the jazz world or do you mean they were big <laughs> they, they they were big like shockingly it was just a different wow. time yeah i feel like these albums sold a lot because you see them a fair amount yeah i think my dad had this record and i imagine it was just like like a college like stoner record like joints were being rolled on this record yeah there's like some miles davis in there some weather reports some zappa totally i have to confess that prior to checking this out you know i've seen weather reports name and i knew of jaco pastorius uh, but for some reason I, I never checked them out and i i think in my mind oh, and i might be offending some people here i think in my mind they were to fusion jazz what dream theater is to prog rock. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Although I, uh, I don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at times they probably were, especially like later yeah. on after this record, they kind of hit that point. They've got some terrible stuff. They do sure. have some very terrible stuff. I mean, the, most of their career is like, going from like highly improvised weird stuff and like making it more and more structured and pop friendly as they go along. So I I think this record is like a real good sweet spot because it's one of the like forgotten records before Jocko joins the band. And it is also like one of the funkiest and has some of the deepest grooves of their whole catalog and some of the coolest early synthesizer sounds. There's some ARP on here. There's a real Tonto synthesizer being played. This record is dope. Um, and before we go into another song, I just wanted to say I'm also like coming at this from a nostalgic angle, just like David Drucker. My dad was the first one to play me some Weather Report. Early musicians I looked up to were talking about, you know, how great Jocko was and all these players and stuff. So I, I remember hearing a lot of this Weather Report stuff as a kid, 
But as an adult, I never bought any of the records. It was just like, oh, I know what Weather Report is about. So it's been fun to dive into this record specifically and find some Weather Report stuff that I can get excited about again, because this one is legitimately dope. I, and it's worth pointing out, it's obvious, but um, the playing on it, just like the instrumental playing of the band in general, but we're specifically talking about this record, is is incredible. Uh, just like the Wayne Shorter, uh, Joe Zawinul, they're kind of like a like a Lennon and McCartney of fusion. Oh, they really are too. Yeah, it's just <laughs> it's it's magic. It's like musicians talk about that, and um, not just li- deep listeners. Like this is like magic. They're they're really conjuring some some wild stuff on here. What do we? All right. So yeah, what's the second track we're gonna hear? <laughs> uh let's see how about uh well we got to play between the thighs which speaking of the funky grooves yeah this is a great track that's side a track three so much to love with that track and i think maybe the first time you hear it it can be a little off-putting with the kind of video game sounding synthesizers in there and the the saxophone solos and everything but the more you listen like the rhythm section is just so undeniably funky and i think the synthesizers sound super cool on this record even when they get like a little cheesy like they did on there also, there's some just great sax playing from Wayne Shorter and a good example of like the combination of the kind of melodic improvisation that he was really good at with Weather Report. And you can hear some of those 
earlier bebop licks that he was famous for previous to this group yeah he he played on a kind of blue which um many listeners will know but uh the miles davis not classic na- yes na- now you do uh, yeah he I mean he had a long illustrious career before this and after yeah definitely so speaking of illustrious career should we talk real quick about the players on this record well we should definitely talk about their mustaches uh, on the <laughs> album cover but yes yeah particularly joe zominal right there in the middle he's got a yep. powerful mustache on this album cover i must say <laughs> and a cool hat <laughs> he's a stylish dude in 1975 all right so first up the leader of the group joe zominal playing all of the keys all the synthesizers all the funky sounds like that. So him, Wayne and Wayne Shorter started the group uh, shortly after the Bitches Brew sessions that we talked about. Joe Zavonul got his start playing with a jazz artist named Maynard Ferguson, which is also actually where him and Wayne Shorter first met in 1959. Joe also was a frequent collaborator with Dinah Washington, which is a name that doesn't get referenced too often on this show aside from the episode we did and we're um, I was about to say what do you mean we did an episode <laughs> but like of all the yeah. of all the people that we like continually like oh and this person played with them i feel like dinah washington is rarely yeah. on that list just from like being so earlier in the jazz world but uh you know joe's been it was in it for a long time at this point these are seen veterans i mean weather report was viewed as a jazz super group when they first came out but anyway so uh into the 60s, Joe spent most of his time playing with Cannonball Adderley, who's another Miles Davis associate. Joe wrote some pretty influential, famous pieces when he was in the group, particularly the song Mercy, 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 Walk Tall, and Country Preacher. And then he started playing with Miles Davis just towards the tail end of the 60s, and you can hear him on In a Silent Way and Bitches Brew. Wayne Shorter, the co-leader of the band, the sax player, he was a longtime member of Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers and then spent an extra long time playing with Miles Davis. He was a part of what was known as the Second Great Quintet, which was Miles Davis, Herbie Hancock, Ron Carter, Tony Williams, and Wayne Shorter. He's also on Bitches Brew and In a Silent Way, ESP, and many, many other amazing, influential jazz records. I also want to note that right around the same time they were making this Weather Report record, Wayne also released a solo album that was a collaboration with Brazilian musician Milton Nascimento. That's an album called Native Dancer that also came out in 1975 and was the runner-up for Downbeat's album of the year. That's another record that's on my queue to talk about on the show at some point. It's a real good one. Uh, Moving down to the bass player, we have Alfonso Johnson. He was a member since 1973 and replaced the original bassist, Miroslav Vitus, who also played on the Herbie Man record that we talked about. I thought you were going to say the bassist was Meryl Streep. <laughs> <laughs> so Alfonso Johnson is a guy who we haven't mentioned on the show before, or maybe not much, despite him having played with several members Uh, or several players that we've talked about. He's on a Bob James record. He's on some Norman Connors stuff. And he is on two tracks on the Crusaders' Street Life. Oh, damn. Damn. 
Yeah, I don't know uh, anything about him, and I'm I'm digging this. He's also notable for being an early champion or pioneer of the Chapman stick. Do you guys know about the Chapman stick? I, I know Tony Levin of uh, King Crimson was pretty big on the Chapman stick. Yeah, that's probably like the most famous association <laughs> yeah. with the instrument, but it's a very like technically demanding relative of a guitar. It's like a hybrid of a guitar and a bass, but you only do tapping instead of strumming or right. plucking on it. So Alfonso Johnson was a guy using this shortly after it was invented here in the 70s. And um, he had a really interesting bass style. He had a great feel for funk and R&B music while still being able to do some interesting, challenging jazz stuff. I think his grooves on this record are really cool. He does a lot of like do like a run of a bunch of quick notes and then just like hold a note and sustain it and like hit the groove that way. It's an interesting style. Such a good tone too. Yeah. Some of the bass sounds and maybe some of the drumming on this record and just some other fusion that I'm familiar with actually in my mind, it's sort of, it's kind of like King Crimson, some of their records. Like that was another thing I could associate the sound with. Yeah. I think there was a lot more common ground between jazz, like fusion jazz and prog rock at this point than a lot of people give it credit for. And oftentimes, is the big one. yeah, definitely. And I mean, honestly, I think a lot of it just kind of broke down. If it was a band full of white dudes, it was a prog rock band. And if it was multiracial, yeah. it was a fusion jazz band. Like sometimes that's really the only indicator. It's how it was marketed, surely. Even some kraut rock in the mid to later 70s gets into fusion territory. Yeah, I think it was basically the same kind of experimental energy going on like worldwide at this point. That was just wanting people wanting to try new things and try different combinations. And people were into different cultures as well, like different kinds of music from around the world. You know, Can was obviously pretty big on that. True. Yeah, they got those guys. Those guys from Traffic joined Can and <laughs> changed up their sound considerably. Yeah, a lot of um. Uh, Latin music and like African rhythms mm-hmm. were really popular at this time. Like bands just like digging deep into that. That and, you know, there was like industry revolutionizing technology and instruments coming out every year during the 70s. So like that was another big feature of this group. Joe Zawinul was always getting his hands on whatever the latest synthesizer recording technology he was like one of the first people to use MIDI when that was invented shortly after this. Uh, this he he mastered this record too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Did he? I, I just said that I should probably fact check that. <laughs> he produced it, I think. No, yeah. <laughs> well, he yeah, no, he mixed it with uh with Wayne Shorter. Cool. Yeah, yeah. very hands on. Moving on to the drums uh, in the rhythm section here, we have a guy named Leon Ndugu Chancellor. He is most notable as playing with Herbie Hancock. Herbie's the one that gave him the nickname Ndugu, which is Swahili for Earth Brother. Some of the people he has collaborated with include Herbie, or sorry, include <laughs> Ramsey Lewis, Minnie Ripperton, Michael Henderson, Michael Jackson, Santana, and Herbie Hancock. Did you guys ever see that Alexander Payne movie about Schmidt with Jack Nicholson? Yeah. yeah. Do you remember, yep. do you remember it, the the kid that he was writing to was named Ndugu. Dear yes. Actually, Ndugu. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that was a reference yeah. to, to the weather report. <laughs> it could be. It's, it's possible. 
Leon is, is one of two drummers that was on Michael Jackson's Thriller, so he's the guy playing on Billie Jean and some other hits. That's a tight drummer. Yeah. I know there's some uh, Santana crossover. I, you probably have that in your notes. Yeah, actually. So um, this is the only record by Weather Report that Leon is playing on. And the reason for that is that they were between drummers while they were in the studio and Santana's band was in the same studio at the same time. And they saw his drummer Leon and convinced him to come across the hall and do some sessions with them. And then they offered him a permanent place in the band after the session was done, but he opted to stay in Santana's touring band. Wrong choice. So there's no actual live footage. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe Santana paid better at that point. Who knows? <laughs> Um, and like what you were saying, David, with like the Latin rhythms influencing music, um, Santana was a huge influence on fusion jazz as well in that he was combining rock with all of these other influences. And I think Santana and Miles Davis both have very strong kind of invisible hands on this record in particular. Absolutely. So that brings us to the final member of Weatherport on this record, a guy named Illyrio Lima on percussion. He was a member of John McLaughlin's band from Mavishnu Orchestra. He was a member of the Phil Woods Six and also the Gil Evans Orchestra. And that's all I have for the player information. You guys moved so quick through that. I didn't even get to make a Santana smooth featuring Rob Thomas joke. I was waiting for one. Yeah. (laughs) All right, we'll give you a second. Lay it on us. What's what's the best one you can come up with? The moment's passed. Okay. <laughs> Missed opportunities. That's that's the joke, right? You want there. you want to just like spit a couple quick ones and see if we can fit them in somewhere else, or no, no. no. Let's just, or let's forget about it. <laughs> well, there you go. The yeah. joke is made. I can't make Give it. Give me your smooth Jake, or else just forget about it. And there you go. You, you guys want to hear another weather report song? Yeah. What do you want to hear, Sean? You got you have a highlight. Well, I think we haven't played the first track on the album yet, have we? Man in the Green Shirt. No, I, that, that's I, that's what I was thinking of as well. That's All a right, very that's a very Zappa sounding title. It really is. <laughs> Thank you. 
So we mentioned some Zappa comparisons earlier, and I gotta say that track sounds like it could be something right off of Hot Rats. There's some like Peaches and Regalia vibes going on there. Love it. Yeah, I almost could have sworn that Shuggy Otis was playing the bass on it. You you almost hear Ruth Underwood uh, <laughs> playing on the track. Yeah, so good. Yeah, and again, uh, a great example of. Wayne Shorter switching between kind of a complimentary melodic background style and then just jumping in with those fast licks again. Such a versatile, brilliant player. He's 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 one of the best. Uh, yeah, it bears repeating. <laughs> Absolutely. And one of the things I wanted to say, one of the the marks that set Weather Report apart from their peers at the time was that all of the original members were not only accomplished instrumentalists, but were also highly skilled and respected composers. And they, they tried to keep that theme with a lot of the players that they brought in. And they're always open to new players doing songwriting. I mean, Jocko wrote some of their biggest hits after he joined the group. And yeah, there's, there's an element of the improv and the shredding and just seeing where the music can go. But then there's also these strong melodics and compositional elements going on throughout their whole career well beautiful i feel more educated on weather report now i've written this group off way too much and now i've got plenty to explore because they got lots of albums don't they yeah there's a there's a good amount of content there's a solid uh like eight eight to ten records that are all worth checking out from the start of their career on i would say there's a record called uh mysterious traveler which, regardless of what you think of the music, that's just a great title. <laughs> Is that that's a that could have been a Painted Faces album title? Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> they also have the title "I Sing the Body Electric" from '72, which is pretty. I don't think cool. I've ever heard that one. Uh, yeah, that one's harder to find, but there's some good stuff on it. Yeah. Speaking of things to check out, you guys want to hear about this playlist with some further listening recommendations on it? Absolutely. Give me that content. Mm-hmm. So you got some Bob James on here who we mentioned, his famous song with the big drum break, Take Me to the Mardi Gras. There's a Headhunters record, one of the ones they did without Herbie Hancock, the album Straight from the Gate. Uh, the song I Remember I Made You Crazy is on there. So people will recognize the Mob Deep sample. Some Ronnie Laws we talked about, a track from Pressure Sensitive. The Crusaders are on there. Tony Williams' Lifetime, Mob Vishnu Orchestra, who we mentioned. Put uh, Norman Connor's version of The Creator Has a Master Plan from the You Are My Starship record that we covered. There's some Return to Forever on there. Ramsey Lewis, Michael Henderson, Cannonball Adderley Quintet with one of my favorite tracks by him, Hummin', the live version from Country Preacher. Charles Lloyd, who we've talked about before, doing some Beach Boys collaborations off the album Waves. And then Bobby Bryant, who did our theme song. You can find all of that on Spotify. Just search I'd Buy That Podcast, all one word, and dig into some fusion jazz. There might be a lot more of it than you that you like than you realized a lot of people have written this stuff off and there's some real gems in there for cheap wonderful thank you sean now david before we wrap up weather report is there anything else you'd like to plug while you're here uh no i'm going to take this opportunity to not plug anything and just uh say thanks for listening (laughs) 
Well, uh, I'm going to say that you can find painted faces stuff for sale on the internet in various places, perhaps Bandcamp, perhaps Discogs even, and uh, highly recommended. He's got some great records. Check out Painted Faces. There are some legendary and haunted releases by Painted Faces. You know, I, I think we've we've used that terminology a couple times on the podcast, and I uh, just got to say... It all originates with our guest here today, David Drucker, legendary and haunted. <laughs> the man, the myth, the legend. Is there another? Is there another train coming by, David? Yeah, right now as we speak. Yeah. I used to be the one that had the the trains on the episodes. Now you're bringing the trains. It's like that Steve Reich record uh, about the what is it? Something trains. I'm just jumping off here. I don't know. That's not a dollar <laughs> record. So. <laughs> maybe I'll, yeah no, that's maybe there's some Reichian dollar records to explore in the future i mean i found some uh modern classical and avant-garde stuff in dollar bins just because stores will write off their entire yeah. classical section sometimes right. so you never know yeah well i would uh love to come back in the future yeah oh, we'd oh, love you will, to have you back you will yeah. definitely be back i can't believe it took us 110 episodes to get you on <laughs> Yeah, thanks for being here. Thanks for helping uh, correct some uh, preconceived notions about Weather Report and Fusion Jazz. Thanks for zoning. And uh, again, actually, check out Oregon. Uh, Don't sleep on that Mm -hmm. band. Yeah, a lot of great stuff. Shout out to uh, Chris Shields, friend of the pod, who who turned me on to Oregon some years back, and I I got obsessed. Yeah. Listen to, listen to Oregon and listen to the Paul Winter Consort. Oh, yeah. It's top of my list. All right. That's that's it for today. Thanks for listening, everybody. I've been your host, Sean Hartman. I've been your host, Peter Cook. I've been your host, Jeremy Ruggles. I, I've been your guest, David Drucker. Thanks again, David. Are you going to tell them what we're going to play as, as they oh, yeah. slowly fade out their radio sets? I suppose we probably should. For the few people that are still listening in the last couple minutes of this episode, we're going to play the closing track on the album, right, David? Yeah, five short stories. And this is the one that only features two of the members, the two band leaders, Wayne Shorter and Joe Zawinul, doing some spacey synthesizer and saxophone interplay. Ooh. Well, let's check that out. Thanks for listening to I Buy That Pro Dollar. Goodbye. Goodbye.